This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. In South Dakota, hunting is our shared legacy, something everyone can be a part of. That's why we're focused on making our fields a welcome place for everyone. See how at HuntTheGreatestSD.com, where you can hear stories from sportswomen and learn what makes South Dakota the world's pheasant capital. While you're there, check out public land maps, hunting blogs, and season information for one unforgettable fall. Learn more at HuntTheGreatestSD.com. Welcome to another episode of Woods and Waters Project Podcast. So excited that you're here. You are listening to part two of Shot Placement and Recovery with Dave Hoffman. If you haven't listened to part one yet, pause what you're doing, pause it right now, and go to part one. We go into basically just being a better shot, a better deer hunter, more ethical. Um, but you know, if you make those shots where you can't find your deer, how to find them quicker, better. It's great. It's so it's so much good information, so many good tips to take away from it. And we had so much to talk about that we made a part two. So that's where you are right now listening to today. And today with Dave, we're going to get into more about picking your blood tracking dog, uh, some training around it, what that looks like, choosing your breed, what's right for you. There's so much good stuff here. So thank you so much for being here and let's get into it. Okay, Dave. So you and I talked about yesterday when I kept you way beyond recording the podcast and picking your brain on a whole bunch of things that we're going to talk about. You talked about making your own field kit. So uh, can you talk to me, talk to us a little bit about the field kits and what you would have in there to help you with your recovery? Uh, one little field kit you can actually you can buy, but you also can make on your own is just take uh, uh, when you harvest a deer or come across a deer is just uh, take some samples of hair. For example, take some hair from the stomach, from the brisket, from the hindquarters, from different parts of the deer, 
Um, there's actually a field guide I have on this PowerPoint, but you can um, you can look up some of these field guides. And uh, for example, they have back hair, neck hair, brisket, heart, hair, chest. But um, just take some samples and go and tape them or glue them to a little, um, some people put them like in a little binder or a little piece of um, harder, hard card stock, just glue them or fasten them with that. And then when you're out in the field, um, if you're really into this, be able to pick up hair at the hit site and then compare it to some of the hair you have in your little handy dandy field guide. So that's just a little more advanced. There's not a whole lot of people do that, but um, certainly can help you with uh, trying to determine where the deer was potentially hit there. So uh, um, just, yeah, a, I will, just another I think little that's, field sign. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, everyone learns a little differently. And I think having the visual and like being able to see it and touch it and compare it, uh, mm -hmm. you know, especially for folks that for anybody, not just the, not just who I'm about to say, but like, if you're kind of just getting into hunting and you feel like you want to kind of help fast track yourself, I feel like that's a great way to, to, to learn a lot in a shorter period of time. If you, you know, cause it just takes time. It takes time to, um, you're never going to know everything. And this is a long game. Like hunting is a long game for sure. So I just think that's wonderful because I think for some people, they want to get like really really good at one particular thing or they want to learn it all and i think having a field guide like that is i think it's great advice yep and then uh moving on to another tip as far as like deer recovery and using a dog regards to grid searching if you're considering using a dog is the one thing is please don't grid search before a dog arrives uh, just that just really tracks the scent around and really confuses a dog and it just makes it much more difficult for the dog so if you're considering a grid search is i would really suggest that doing that after potentially a dog is unsuccessful or you're not you have for some, for some reason to access a dog is the grid search but then even a final resort for recovery is look for scavengers uh, we talked about that with Steph, potentially look for crows or scavengers or like even, for example, in the snow is coyote tracks, even follow coyote tracks oftentimes will lead to a deer or at times at night, you maybe would hear uh, coyotes yip or howl and they actually may be on that uh, wounded or down deer too. So use those, some of the evidence you might get from scavengers out there. And don't overthink bald eagles. Bald eagles are really scavengers and yeah. people really, they're wonderful. Obviously we have a lot of them out here and those are our big scavengers where I live in particular. They're yep. everywhere. Especially eagles and crows and mm -hmm. yep. Absolutely. So uh, we'll move on another part of the slideshow here. It talks about the history of blood tracking. And so it's kind of crazy. This has actually been dogs have been used for blood tracking and recovering deer since the late 18th century. So it's really been caught commonly used. It's again, we talked about it's fairly new here in the United States, really only since the 70s. And here in Iowa, it's only been legal for just over two years now. So it's really quite new. And it's especially people in Iowa, it's it's new concept. Uh, there's a good number of people are interested in and just getting started in it. 
but some of our goals is in some ways just trying to educate the hunter too, especially the do's and don'ts, and especially what the dog can do and what the dog can't do. So some of the values we believe is it just really prevents the lingering death of the animal that's not cleanly killed. So I really believe it reduces the waste of a valuable natural resource out there when these animals go to waste. And the third part, it can really transfer a nightmare loss of a deer into a happy experience when the deer is recovered. I, you know, it's personally um, myself, it's, it's gotta be the worst feeling laying awake at night after I've, you know, made a poor shot on a deer and not knowing, you know, if I'm going to recover that deer, if that deer is dead or alive. And I've, I've had a number of sleepless nights out there worrying about the, you know, when I wounded a darn deer. And so I, I not sure. I know a number of people experience that too. It's just an awful feeling to have a wounded and unrecovered deer out there. So I got a picture of a hunter here with his first, uh, made a kind of a poor shot on a deer, but you know, a dog first recovering this hunter's very first deer and transforming that nightmare into a, into a good experience out there. So the other part is just, the rain is just seldom a problem for many of these tracking deers. Again, you know, one to two, three inches of rain really isn't often a problem. Uh, snow up to one to three inches. Um, many dogs perform well under between 12 and 48 hours on a track. The good experienced dogs I've seen up to 60 hours old. So 60 hour blood track and be able to recover that deer. That's really quite really quite remarkable, amazing to me, especially when you have all these other healthy deer have crossed that trailer track. You got all these other coons and critters and distractions for the dog and for a well-trained dog to recover a deer, a 48 to 60 hours old is really quite impressive to me. And that's really where it takes some of the training for a well-focused and disciplined dog. And it's really important for that dog to be able to communicate with their handler. That's the really the, the key part with blood tracking is that bond and the communication between the dog and the handler. So we talked briefly earlier about the importance of that inner digital gland and how that's where the dog can track. So the dog needs little to no visible blood to track. So it's really quite amazing is that's the inner digital gland is between the toes of that deer. And really that's how the deer, how they communicate their emotions and such too is between different individual deers so they can actually transfer, communicate between, directly between different deer with that particular gland. So next we'll talk about some of the equipment and uh, some of the things I can use, I'll actually, show you I actually use a blood tracking collar and actually I have a leash 30 foot leash something that actually kind of kind of snakes through the woods through the multiflora rows and through the bushes and something that uh, doesn't really get snagged up and caught up much on that what makes it a blood tracking collar collar so typically what they are is they're wider collars. Yeah, I see that. And 
really the main importance is is the different collars communicates to the dog their different job okay so the the thicker red cacking collar Oh my gosh. See, this is why we have to have video on the podcast so you guys can see people's dogs. Oh my goodness. So this is my blood tracking hound. So he has a beard like me too, and he's got a little gray. Yeah. So oh my the, gosh, he's a handsome so boy. So the collar lets him know that I'm blood tracking versus I have a regular bird collar that he's he's pheasant hunting or for example when i coon, daytime coon call i get the collar out and i get the rifle and he'll start looking in the trees so mainly the collar is to let him know the difference in his particular jobs so i love it i mean that, that makes so much that sense, that makes sense too so what i've conditioned him to do with the blood tracking collar is that he is to put his nose down and to keep his nose down to the ground. His job is to track and recover. So um, really quite amazing. Your dogs know with very little cues when it's, they're gonna get a treat, when it's time for them to be let outside. So that's it's really quite amazing, just a little different cues. They know what's going on. So for example, I assume your dog knows if you grab a certain vest, certain piece of clothing, you know, that dog knows you're going to town, you're gonna to take it for a run or a swim, or that dog knows if you grab the gun, you know, it's time to hunt. So they're pretty. And it doesn't take them very long either. I mean, my experience, like my puppy, you know, we haven't even used the shot collar with him like that much, but every time I put it on, it went from what the heck is this thing to very quickly, like, oh my gosh, that means I get to get out of the house and I get yeah. to go chase after birds. And this is awesome. Yeah. So it's, that's, yeah, that's awesome. Yep. It makes sense to have different collars. Absolutely. Yep. So it just gives them a different, some people use a vest type too that they can put a harness to. But so the other thing is the, the, the width of the collar just helps because there's a leash on there mm -hmm. and just uh, the thicker collar is just less force on their neck and such. But the other part is my dog, he just pulls like a freight train on there. Yeah. So the other is I actually have another harness that I use as a body harness that I can show you a picture. I actually can hook him up to a sled and a deer sled and he can pull about 120 pound deer sled or 120 pound deer out of the woods. Help me pull it out. That's awesome. <laughs> so he's, he's 77 pounds and he can pull at least 120 pounds. Well, and that's, yeah, that's a huge advantage. I'm sure when people compare, cause I know we're going to get into different types of blood tracking dogs too. I know like there's some tiny, there's some tiny ones that I'm sure aren't going to be pulling any, <laughs> any deer. So yep. that's, that's cool. Yep. 
So our next slide actually does get into our different breeds. And one of them, the first one here is the German dot sound, or they also call it, it's a, it's a teckle. So it's a wired haired, um, pretty much some like a dot sound, but many people call them a wiener dog. But they are impressive trackers. They're one of the most commonly used tracking dogs in Europe and in the US. A teckle is the most commonly used blood tracking dog that I know of. It's would really a teckle with sorry to hopefully I didn't mm -hmm. like cut you off too much there. I I'm wondering with so a teckle, is that a specific kind of wiener dog or like, you know. It, yes, yes, it's, it is. Okay. It's, it's a wire-haired Datsun. Okay. Yep. And so they're typically these are based out of Germany. Yep. That's what I was wondering because, so just to clarify for people listening too is, and this would go for any type of hunting dog, but to, to look at your breeding, obviously, because just if you're thinking about getting into this, maybe just purchasing a wiener dog puppy is probably not where to start, right? I mean, that's probably, mm -hmm. maybe. So More than really, likely not. <laughs> so I really talk to people about pairing up the breed that works in their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You know, they're only going to be typically hunting these dogs, many people, several months out of the year. And so something that works into your lifestyle and something that works for you and your family. So it depends if you want to have the dog in your house, you want to have it outside in the kennel. And also the other factors, what works for you. So the other things take into account on what things you like to hunt as well. Yeah, no, that makes so, sense. Because you mentioned, we talked earlier of like the reasons, um, some unique reasons maybe why people get into blood tracking. And you had told me a story of a woman that, got into it to, she didn't necessarily want to hunt, but she wanted to be a part of her family's hunt and why they do it. And I thought that was awesome. So yep. for them, you know, I don't know what they have. And obviously if the family hunts, that might not be the exact story, but yep. it makes a lot of yep. sense. Cause if you only want a blood, blood track, and then you just want a companion, um, some of mm -hmm. these dogs would be perfect where other ones are like, they need a job all year long, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's great. That's great advice. So that for that particular gal, uh, they had a, a lab is what they were using. And it was their family dog. And um, she enjoyed archery, but she didn't really. It wasn't really her thing to actually harvest or kill a deer, but to participate in the hunt. And to participate in the family tradition, it was she found it rewarding to actually be able to recover deer that were harvested for her family and friends. Awesome, so cool. So uh, <laughs> here's my hound. And the, so I, something that fits for me is I hunt waterfowl in Saskatchewan. I use, I like a pointing breed for quail and pheasants from Iowa to Missouri hunting. Uh, the other is, I use him for daytime coon calling, for predator hunting. The, he pulls a sled. So just the versatility is why this particular breed I'm talking about or I have is a Deutz Drahar. So they're a German 
uh, pretty much a German dog originated. And they really weren't common here in the States until after World War II where the GIs brought them back from Germany, but they're uh, here in the States, they're called a German wire here. But they do have hound in them and they're, they are trackers. So they're one of uh, one common breed anyway that's used for tracking. Um, and so the other thing is to point out the difference in breeds too. Uh, there's ground searchers like bloodhounds and some of the teckles, some of the breeds are ground searchers or ground scenting dogs. And so those dogs typically do make the better blood tracking dogs sticking their nose to the ground versus like a lab, uh, a German or a drawhar or many like a coon dog, those dogs are typically air centers and they have their nose up typically it's it's more in there common for them to have their nose up and be searching in the air, searching back and forth. So it's that's their first instinct is to have their nose up in the air and in air searching versus the ground trackers, their instinct is to put their nose to the ground and pick up the scent on the ground. So many times it's, it can be a little more challenging for these air scenting dogs like the labs and pointers to actually teach them and train them to put their nose down and keep their nose down. So that's one thing I'd have to do with mine is he likes to be tracking, but then he'll get bored, he'll lift his nose. He wants to go into the search mode is to some way scold him and say, no, no, you keep your nose to the ground and you keep tracking rather than go into your search mode. It gets things get a little challenging or frustrating. That's his his go to is put his nose up in the air and 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 take off from there. So here in this slide, we talk about the most common breeds. The the tackle is a good tracking dog. We got the drawhar. We got the many people using labs across this nation. Uh, there's other breeds like the Bavarian Mountain Hound. Uh, Bloodhound is very common. Very it's a very good tracking dog. Uh, Blue Lacey is becoming more popular here in the state, but especially that's very more common down south. Is that's a very popular and very common tracking dog is the Blue Lacey. There's the Yag Terrier. There's people using Beagles. There's the Southern Black Mouth Curs. There's the Catahoula Cur. Uh, there's a number of uh, coon dogs. There's people that have used the Australian Shepherds. So really about any breed out there with a nose can track, or I should say a, a nose and where that has the motivation and drive to track. There's about any dog can track. But I really caution people about uh, grabbing their dog, you know, an untrained dog I refer to as like grabbing Barfy off the back of the couch and going out to go and track. Um, so initially there was actually, the legislators were talking about, they wanted to require certification or require a license for tracking. And in some ways that kind of keep some of the bad apples out of tracking. 
And uh, for example, some of the bad apples out there, the first year of tracking here in Iowa, there's some bad apples in Southern Iowa. What they did is they went and grabbed the neighbor's untrained dog. They took it out on public land and they were disturbing other hunters. They were chasing deer around. In other ways, what they were doing is they had the dog off leash, and which was illegal. But unfortunately, they let this dog run around. It was disturbed again. It disturbed the deer, disturbed hunters. In some ways, it, it was, was giving blood tracking a bad name. Just a few, just had a couple, two bad apples like that the first year that kind of kind of soured a few a few people out there but so in short um what we learned from oklahoma is you really don't need the certification or requirements for the dog the people that grab old barfy off of the back of the couch learn pretty quickly um, when that dog untrained takes them through the and is unproductive through the multiple roses up and down the hills and they're unproductive in finding the deer. Um, it's in some ways they call it it's self-regulating. They either spend the time to train that dog or they leave Barfy home the next time. So, um, yep. Uh, so we really discourage, you know, grabbing Barfy off the back of the couch and expecting him to go and be able to track a deer the first time. But, so that's that's it on our breeds anyway. So I am have been hosting some new training events for new handlers and dogs around Iowa. I'm actually hoping to do that, particularly maybe in Des Moines or a couple sites around the state. In some ways, uh, provide information for new people out there that might want to get into tracking or deer recovery. And I've done some programs at the Deer Classic on shot placement a little bit more on dog breed selection and some of the training out there as well. So that's one of the things we'll, if you have any questions, uh, cover that. Or otherwise, we'll go into some of the training out there as well. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think, <laughs> I think with, uh, I think it definitely depends on the dog, not just the breed too, but you know, I feel some dogs just probably like people, I suppose, um, are very versatile and you could take like yours, you can take him duck hunting and then you can go coon hunting and then you, you know, can go blood tracking where I feel some people might feel this way or some dogs might just be this way of your dog has one job. Um, you know, like our, our two of our coon hounds, for example, uh, we're not going to probably use them for anything but coon hunting, right? Like that's their job. Um, they're good at their job. We're not working with them outside of like that range of things. Do you feel that there are certain breeds that are just more versatile in their breed um, versus others? Or is that kind of like a dog, dog to dog based thing or with the trainer based mm -hmm. thing? I, I feel like that's probably not a perfect mm -hmm. answer, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really varies between uh, from each dog, but with, with like with my dog, kind of the benefit is, is I can take him out pheasant hunting in the morning, then duck hunt, and then I can go blood tracking all in the same day and then coon hunting too. 
And mm-hmm. so he's, he's good at everything, but in some ways he's not the master at blood tracking versus somebody like, for example, that with a bloodhound, they got one job and that's, yeah. and like with the tackle, that's maybe the only thing they do. And so some ways that dog may be even more skilled at particularly just that one job. Sure. So for example, my dog is really good at blood tracking. If I got him started in the season and he just do blood tracking, but then I take him coon hunting and uh, pheasant hunting. And then I try to blood track on the same day. And some days he's then more likely to have an off day because he's kind of confused or distracted. He has some of that other hunting on his mind, but then other days he does excellent too at the, and keeps focused on his, on the tracking job that's at hand. So many times it's, it's some ways it's getting, getting me into the right, they have the right motivation and the right the mindset and you get them, especially it, it takes more training to get them that specialized that um, you put that blood tracking collar on and they have to put their nose down and they go track. And there's yeah. many dogs that, that can do that, but it just takes more training and ex- and uh, and just the experience over time, they they really can figure it out too. Yeah, yeah, and that's and I I, I was thinking even like uh, the beagle, for example. Um, you know, I I know that they're just really good rabbit dogs, right? And I could just mm-hmm. envision them tracking a deer and a rabbit. They get on a rabbit scent, and now they're mm-hmm. you know that's what they're after at that point, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um like how people, and you know, I'm sure that happens. I'm, I'm sure that happens with even the best of the best, you know, yeah. like there's a, there's a fresh track that crosses over what they were originally on. They're like, Oh, I want that. Like that's yeah. alive and you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but just interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for breaking so, that down for me. <laughs> yeah. So that's then where people then the ability to read their dog, if it gets off on the track is to then be able to restart them get them back on that deer. And sometimes it may take uh, multiple restarts to get them. So they're in uh, there then recover that deer too. So it really depends on the age of the track and the length of the track too, on and the difficulty on how well they do. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I would say that something for me that I think I, I you know, I, I personally probably had fear of before is I didn't, you know, I've had bird dogs and I think you and I talked about this, that, you know, my, my Brittany Spaniel dog, he just, I think he's going to be a pretty, pretty good bird dog, but he likes to, he kind of likes to hunt a little bit of everything right now. Um, and I never even thought about using him for anything besides really bird hunting. And then I kind of went down the rabbit hole of finding out that you know, Brittany Spaniels were used for waterfowl, like that he'd yeah, probably yeah. be a great dog for the teal season. You know, they're smaller, yeah. they're smaller. It's still warm. Um, the boyfriend's a snow goose guide. Like I've found people who use their Brittany's for snow goose hunting. And I have just like opened this whole other world, <laughs> unfortunately yeah. and unfortunately of like, wow, I could really, if he wants to, which he seems like this particular dog wants to, I mean, I could probably get him into a few different things, you know, but yeah, he has the ability to track pheasants, snow goose, and the other game, he certainly can track a deer as well. Yeah. 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 Very so cool. Have that, have that ability. 
So here we're talking about some of the training and, you know, encouraged even at a lot young age, you know, many times exposing seven, eight weeks old puppy to deer hides and even doing some of the drags with deer legs, uh, deer hide, exposing them to the scent. Here we got, uh, you know, the puppies with a deer leg, you know, just starting at a very young age. And there's, there's things like I've even done short drags with little treats and offer rewards and puppies. You know, it's amazing these little tackles and little dogs. Um, we had one at a training day last fall. It was, uh, and I've had seen them, you know, at 14 weeks, all those, those little puppies can recover a deer within the 100 yards as they'll just go right straight to it. It's really quite amazing, neat. So it becomes, uh, you know, conditioning these dogs in the training. And, uh, you know, as time goes, you know, seven to 10 weeks, you do longer drags, you know, that's some of the perfect time to start them recommend is seven to 10 weeks of age. Um, some of the things to use, for example, is even uh, your harvested deers, the deer liver, even fresh, you know, or I mean, it's frozen, take it out freezer. Uh, some others can be just dried liver and, you know, start out at 25 feet, uh, progress to 50 and, and then kind of go from there for your beginning little puppies. And, really quite amazing how they can they can uh, track them here we got a picture of a, just a liver little mesh bag on a string you know tr track that for fun and let them chew on at the end it's a reward and it really gets that prey drive going and uh, really conditions them to and then eventually you start to age that track you know age it at, uh, let it 15 minutes from where you first drag it and uh, lengthen the track as you go. And again, let them chew on the liver and have them reward at the end. And so in some ways people talk about, you know, is it hard to train a dog to blood track? And some people would say, well, it's actually a very simple task for the dog, simpler than most training. They just have one thing to do. They have a start and a finish. And so it's just pretty basic start, you follow the track to the end, and then you're rewarded at the end. And so some people actually find it's, it's simpler to train, but in some ways it's just more extensive to cover. Is it, a, are you ever worried about, uh, so at the end, so right, as they, they, they become trained and then the end is the deer, like uh -huh. they're excited. Are, are you worried for, the trackers that are doing this for like a client, um, do some of these dogs like just want to rip into that deer at the end? I'm sure they probably do, right? Yes, but so it's it's neat. I've seen just even the little tackles that they'll grab yeah. the hide and they'll just start ripping on it. And they, you know, they're that deer is, you know, they found it and it's theirs and they're really excited. And so uh, let them oftentimes they'll chew on the tail or the, you know, chew on the hide and start ripping on it. And and so the other time is I often encourage uh, take treats or some reward, especially for a young dog and reward that dog yeah. for finding, a, you know, uh, loving them up and uh, certainly that reward. But that big term, big thing we talk about earlier, you and I, we talked about motivation is when you're training your dog, figure out, you know, what motivates your dog? Is it, uh, is it the food? Is it the treats? You know, is it the praise? Is it uh or that dog wants to please you, but that's a really part thing is to, for you to be able to know 
and read your dog and, and know what it motivation is and will drive. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I, I think I've, I mean, not, I don't know that I've ever had a dog that wasn't, you know, excited about a treat, but I have noticed now having multiple dogs of my own over the last few years, just, you know, one of my dogs in particular is very motivated by like just affection and like pleasing mm -hmm. us, but also, you know, he was the same dog that I gave a deer hide to. And I had never, I had never seen him be so excited. He has never acted like that about a treat. Um, but you know, sometimes if you give him a treat, he'll just like put it to the side and get it later. Like he doesn't really care. And I've never had a dog do that before, but when it's like a deer hide, I did a, I zip tied a deer hide to a, a bumper and he was like, I've never, I've never seen him so excited. That was amazing. But yeah, it's interesting. It's amazing to see some of the switches turn on there as well. For example, I have my experiences using a retrieving dummy and then switching it to like a live bird. It could chase on the water or on the ground. It just, uh, some ways it just triggers that it's like a primeval switch or something like that where that's in, for example, that deer hide and things like that can really trigger a switch and yeah. the motivation there. We just uh, yesterday actually did some work with our, our puppy. And I remember the first Brittany Spaniel I had, I, I had a, a boy and a girl first. And um, the girl, she grew out of like the whole play practice thing. Like she didn't want a bumper. She didn't want a wing. She didn't want a dead bird. She wanted a live bird. Like if you weren't giving her a live bird, she really wasn't she was pretty over it pretty fast, you know, but when you took her out hunting on live birds, she was as good of a bird dog as you could have. She just didn't want the practice time. She didn't want the dead birds, the fake stuff, you know, mm -hmm. my second one, it didn't matter. He wanted all of it anytime, every day. Um, he was probably an even better bird dog than she was, but, um, he just had such like a prey drive constantly. Um, and the one I have now he's 11 months old and we have a, we try to keep some frozen birds like for training purposes and stuff. And, uh, <clears throat> he was very not interested in the frozen pheasant yesterday. Um, as it thawed out though, right before we put it away, it was like a flip of a switch and he wanted to carry it around everywhere, have it constantly when, it, you know, he was just like, amped up. So I'm sure with it thawing out and the smell like coming from it, you know, I think that probably changed things, but he definitely is a dog that seems to be driven by live action, right? Like he's not, he's not excited about the, the still, the stillness and the dead birds. And, mm -hmm. um, maybe that seems like common knowledge, but I've had such different experiences with every one of my dogs, um, and what excites them and, what works from that works for them from a training, you know, perspective. So, mm -hmm. yep. so what we'll talk about here is a little more about some equipment too that used for training. One is a little, it's a drip bottle. And as you squeeze this bottle, it's actually a lab bottle. As you squeeze it, it just provides, uh, holds about a pint and just drops like blood uh, on the ground as you walk. Uh, but oh, so another way is you can uh, 
as far as using blood, one, one thing I do is actually uh, for the deer that I harvest out of the body cavity after I gut it, it was actually the blood in there. I was actually scoop up and save that blood like in a Gatorade bottle. I'll actually, uh, many people put it in a blender to spin it. Then what I do is freeze it and uh, freeze it in small sections, a couple ounces at a time. And then when I'm ready to train is thaw that blood and then use it in a squirt bottle. Or even like um, things like potentially like um, a, like a used soap bottle or some people like a ketchup bottle. That's a little big opening, but that can be used to drip a trail as well. So typically for training and some of the testing as well, they just use one pint. Uh, it's, it's typically about a pint. They'll go and use it in about three to 400 meters. And so that's typically about a blood, how much blood a typically a gut shot deer will lose. It's really not a whole lot of blood for a gut shot deer, typically about a pint. And so with that training, it's kind of replicate a gut shot deer going three to 500 meters before it beds down. So, so the drip bottle is one way. The second one is actually with a sponge on a stick. So you got the blood in some type of holding container. You got the sponge on the end of a four foot stick. And so you dip the sponge into the bucket and you just kind of use that sponge attached to the bottom of the stick to kind of sponge out blood on a track or trail as you go there. So the other part is kind of a strip of skin, deer skin, or even like a buck tail. You place that on the end of uh, a string or a rope and you drag that. And especially then let the pup grab a hold of that and shake it and kind of wrestle and pull with it. And it just really, uh, in some ways that really kind of sparks some of their prey dive when they can get a hold of that and just kind of rip on it and growl and tear and, and really play with it as well. So then eventually over time, you extend the line out to hundred yards. They, in some ways they then put like a big right angle, big turn to it. And even that over 10 weeks old, you know, practice with light cord, um, use 20 foot tracking leash and uh, just kind of little kind of baby steps as you go out there as well. Uh, just thinking there is some things online. Uh, there's, there's a gal with drawhars at Jill Manring. She actually has kind of a training schedule printed on her website and then kind of a step-by-step on training tips and techniques as you go there with the dogs. So another piece of equipment is called the tracking shoe. Typically the, the Germans have had these out for decades. Um, it's pretty much what it is, is you take your uh, deer leg from a hunter harvested deer, you pretty much strap it to your, these shoes or boots, and then the hooves make indents into the ground and that inner digital gland uh, leave scent on the ground. Uh, many people um, use these, they'll practice three to five tracks with these, then discard. Uh, I've, I've gotten a number of, oh, as many as 10 tracking events out of these. And, you know, I've used 
water to wetten them up or I put a little blood on them in some ways just kind of freshen them up as well but many people use them uh, and really recommend the deer hunter harvested deer legs for that interdigital gland. So what really what it the biggest thing take home message with the blood tracking dog and the handler is really the partnership and the bond and the really the teamwork. Um, and just to be able to really read the dog and it's really the bonding goes in with this. It's really more bonding than any other dog training out there and um, other jobs with the dog. It's just the bonding is just really important to accomplish to have that teamwork and have the to work together to come up with a common goal to find it. So that dog knows where the deer is at. And, and so it's really important you trust that dog and be able to read it and uh, really work together to find it. And so that really involves staying on the right line. And there's times your dog will get off, get off track, get confused or lifts his head. And so it's really important to stay on the right line and be able to read that dog and keep them focused. So another training tool is just hanging some flagging, some markings as you go. Um, and this, this can be done too by your assistant as they laid the blood trail, they put some markers there. And uh, in that way, as you're following the dog, you end up knowing you're on the right track or the right line when there's markers out there too. And there's some other resources too, like the, the apps on your phone, like um, OnX or like a GPS unit, you can lay your, the, the tracker can, or your, I mean, your, your partner, your, that's laying the track for a practice one, he can um, have that track recorded on the GPS or the phone, and then you can overlay that and see how well you're doing as well. So, we're going to talk about some of the do's and don'ts for the hunter and the as far as the dog tracking. So again, as two we talked earlier, is to avoid walking on the blood trail and getting it on your shoes and spreading the blood around. That's probably one of the biggest challenges and biggest problems out there. And that's probably one of the, the, the biggest thing hunters don't know or don't realize is um, how they're we can be causing problems and causing more difficulties by spreading and mucking up that track. So the other thing um, hunters can do is, is they can really mark the spot where they hit the deer, take pictures, but uh, yeah, mark with phone or your flagging, flag the site and where it's the deer's last seen and where the last blood was. Uh, it's really important that the hunter doesn't push a wounded deer uh, they really know the wait times. Um, it's important that, uh, you know, like uh, preserve the evidence on the arrow, take a picture of it. Uh, don't clean the arrow. For the hunter, the portion is, again, don't grid search and spread that scent around. Uh, the other thing is, is don't try the neighbor's dog. They maybe can do it, but it's, 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 preferably to use a trained dog rather than untrained. Uh, there's a chance they can find it, but um, really encourage using a trained dog, preferably. And the last thing that 
um, hunters can do as far as recovering is keep an eye out for the scavengers like the crows, the eagles, the coyotes and such too. But um, I have a slide here. It shows a single track in the snow. Um, I know you guys can't see this at home, but uh, we can visualize one track in the snow. But then a track in the snow where we've had 10 people grid search and the, the ground is just covered with tracks. And then just try to imagine a dog trying to figure out which one of those tracks covering that is the right one for the dog to stay on. So it just the main point is it's just kind of confusing for the for the dog out there. As far as recovery rates, it really de de depends on people ask, you know, what's the chance of me recovering a deer? So the nationwide average, it's, it's only about 35% of the deer are recovered. But some of the reasons for that is uh, most often many of those deer are not mortally wounded. They're single lung shots. And many times when the deer, um, a, a tracking dog is recovered, it's more challenging deer recovery. There's no blood, you know, there's a single lung shot. Um, some of the other problems run into is they can't get permission on the adjoining property and the deer is pushed off and they can't recover. And sometimes there's just other conditions uh, where the dog just has an off day or there's, but um, it, so it really depends again on where the deer is hit. There's a much greater chance of recovery if it's a gut shot, uh, liver shot, you know, those deer are mortally wounded and there's greater chance of recovering those versus a single lung shot there too. So there is, if you are a hunter that's looking for a blood tracking dog, there's several places you can look, at least two places. One is you can go to the United Blood Trackers website, that's unitedbloodtrackers.org. And you can click on a state and it'll call, you'll, it's called find a tracker. You can do a Google search on that. And it'll, so you pull up your state and it'll list that particular person. Many times it's a picture of them listing their skills, their experience, how far they're willing to travel. And oftentimes you know, the rates, whether they accept tips or if they charge for mileage or if they just have a flat fee or some, for example, they might charge um, a fee like $100, $150 to show up and then another $100 or $150 or such to recover the deer. So it's really quite variable. So I encourage people to ask questions and be upfront, kind of know what's expected of you, uh, what's expected of the hunter and the dog. And in some ways, uh, there's a number of questions to answer. So here in Iowa, we have a Facebook group called Iowa Blood Trackers, and you can go on that site, you can put a request for a deer, a blood tracker, but there's also a map on there. You can click on the map and see potentially someone that's close to you, and you can look at their experience and um, learn a little more about them. But you can also on Facebook there to put a request in we have a number of trackers. Uh, last year, we had over 20 trackers with new dogs in training. 
And what that would do, you'd, you would post a request on Facebook is those trackers in training could kind of field their calls and pick out tracks that work for them and maybe easier tracks at their convenience to train their dog. So the other thing is if you're a, a new handler with a tracking dog, some of the best training I would recommend out there is actually getting your dog on real life experienced shot deer. And one of the best ways to do that is make contact with your buddies and friends and have them get on as many shot deer as they can. Even if they see the deer go down within 60 to 80 yards, those are perfect track training and practice jobs for those new dogs. There's nothing better than a short, easy blood trail that dog can easily follow and then be rewarded at the end. So um, a lot of those easy ones are really good experience and really good practice for those young dogs and handlers to build their confidence. And just that experience then grows their confidence and their abilities and uh, to recover those deer. So it's this blood tracking is now legal in 40 states. And I just believe it's an effective tool to locate these wounded deer that couldn't be located with a typically blood trail. And so, yeah, it became legal here in Iowa in 2020. And, and uh, people are more learning about it. And there's a couple hundred deer recovered in Iowa last year and just over 3,000 deer recovered across the U.S. here uh, last year. So that's awesome. We, we do have some resources out there. Um, so one is really recommend is tracking dogs for finding wounded deer by John Genere and uh, just an excellent resource out there really covers basics from training, the different breeds, um shot placement and some really good resources out there so I really encourage anybody that's looking to train a dog grab a hold of one of these books so there's also things on the web resources like the united blood trackers they have a private group where you can join and get tips and tricks from pro trackers many of these trackers from the east coast have tracked over and recovered over a thousand deer and they're a wealth of knowledge and they're willing to share many of their experiences and skills to train other people out there too that's incredible i that's exactly what i was going to ask was how do i find a how do i find a dog how do i find a tracker and then for me, you know, curiosity about some, you know, I'm, I'm interested in this type of thing, but I want to learn how to first, you know, maybe before diving into a dog or now I have my puppy. So now what, like, now what do I do? Um, have you seen much success with folks, not, not barfy off the back of the couch, but maybe a dog that is a couple years old or something like that, but it has like a hunting ability. Have you seen much of that with these dogs at all? Yeah, yep. So just uh, for example, the question is, I I feel this, I, this hunter says, I have uh, my lab or I have my Brittany and I take them pheasant hunting. Can they blood track? 
and I said that, you know, absolutely. Uh, they have the skills as just put some time and effort in, get some of these uh, resources and learn. But they also is if you can partner up and get together with some other experienced people and get together for some training days and learn. So even like grabbing Barfy off the couch, there's a, there's a chance. Um, there's a very good chance they can recover the deer, but it's it's just not the best interest to grab it, that dog, just right after you shot the deer and expect it with no training to go and be able to recover that deer. It's just a little unrealistic. Like, for example, grabbing your lab to go out and to do a blind retrieve with no training for a duck. That's really kind of real unrealistic expectation for that dog. Many, many dogs can still go out there and stumble around and find it and maybe recover it, but um, they do have that abilities. But it's if you can just spend a little time and effort and training, you, I think you're going to be much more successful and um, and recovering that deer and much more pleased with your dog and abilities too. Yeah. I have one last question because my Brittany behind me making a lot of noise reminded me that I meant to ask you this earlier in the podcast. So um, shed hunting, I feel like is gaining popularity as well. Uh-huh. And if you have a dog that is, can, so can it be confusing for a dog to be a shed dog, but also like a blood tracking, I'm chasing a wounded deer dog. Cause I could see that being uh -huh. conflicting. Yep, it can, be, it can be conflicting. So, for example, I use my dog for shed hunting as well as blood tracking. Uh, the other one is, uh, you may know, the Holters. They have their Dan, their dog Dan. He's a shed dog, but they also use, he's a lab they use him for deer recovery as well. So, um, the other one I can think of is Jeremy Moore with Dog Bone Hunter. He trains his labs for shed hunting but also blood tracking as well. So they can do the different jobs. And so that's kind of the value of that different collars and the blood tracking collar. So you put a, one collar on when you're shed hunting, maybe put another collar on when you're bird hunting, but then you have your other collar for your blood tracking. And just helps them remind, you know, blood tracking collar, your job is to keep your nose down and blood track so it, it can be confusing but you can help them certainly help them out there too and let them know what their job is yeah no that makes a lot of sense and um that's exactly what i was wondering about and with the collars that would that's a great that's a great tip um i i i've ordered some stuff like my my deer hide and some scent from the dog bone guy um and have watched his uh have watched a lot of his YouTube videos and stuff. And he talks about that. And I had never heard anyone talk about training a deer for tracking deer or tra training a dog for tracking deer, but also shed hunting. And I'm like, gosh, mm -hmm. I, I had, I mentioned it to some people and I got super excited about it. I'm like, that's really, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had a lot of naysayers like, uh, I don't know if that's a good idea. I'm like, this guy is literally breaking it down on YouTube, showing me how like possible it is and obviously it depends on the dog and the trainer and there's so many factors and stuff but that's exciting I think that's yeah, yeah I think that's um 
hopefully out of this, out of anything too, is just knowledge for hunters or non-hunters alike. I know I've, I get a mix of both uh, that listen in on this podcast and uh, just knowing what's possible. And I think it's important, especially if you have a dog that's typically used for some sort of hunting to, you know, give them a job or at least give it a try, yeah. you know, let them, let them try some stuff out see what they can do. And I, I think that's great. So thank you so much for being a wealth of knowledge and being on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So we, we talked about that yesterday too, is uh, giving that your dog a job. Certainly in many times, it's going to make a much more happier dog too. They're motivated by having a job and be able to please and do that job. And, and so the, the dogs seem like they'll appreciate it too. Yeah, yeah having those jobs. absolutely. Absolutely. And just, even if it's not something that, you know, you don't have to become like a blood tracker, you know, to make your dog happy, but kind of playing around with this stuff and doing some training and, and seeing what your dog can do, mm-hmm. I think just can be a really exciting thing for, for you and your dog, yep. you know, like you said, so that's great. Yep. And so what I I've seen it. is how it can recruit new people to, to the outdoors as well. Yeah. Uh, a number of people that really aren't hunters are really into harvesting deer, but in a way, this is actually their sport. In some ways it's their hunt they're going out and recovering and this is part of their challenge or their hunt to be able to to find and recover that deer and so some people find that very rewarding to go out and in some ways it's like for a hunter to be able to harvest a deer this is some ways the way they harvest and be successful at their sport so it's really quite interesting and it is it is uh, for me really quite rewarding to recover the challenge and recover deer. So it is rewarding for me to recover deer for other people too. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think sometimes even folks that have hunted a lot, maybe, or, you know, they get to a point in their life where hunting doesn't do it for them the way it used to before, you know, it used to be so exciting to them. So fun. And they kind of like lost the spark or, whatever the reason is, got busy, had a family, just put things to the side. I, I think, you know, conversations like this, um, and other things like foraging and photography and hiking and camping and others, hundreds of examples, but there's ways to get back in the outdoors and maybe reignite that love of the outdoors or hunting. Um, but maybe it doesn't look the same, right? Maybe you used to be a shotgun deer hunter and now now you just want to track and be with your dog, but that's way more exciting to you now than deer hunting, you know, itself mm-hmm. ever was. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think stuff like this can really add a lot to certain people's lives. You know, I, I know for me, just being a 30 year old woman, I hopefully have a long hunting, like, you know, future and everything, but it has changed so much for me, just things I've learned and gotten into you know I love working with my dogs like that that is super exciting to me that like lights me up um I thought I was gonna be this deer crazy maniac but I love bird hunting with my dogs I love coon hunting with my dogs you know there's other things I love shed hunting I love tracking helping people find their deer you know like that kind of stuff almost all like that all comes before deer hunting itself for me you know, and that I think would surprise people when they try things, what might really, you know, 
be their new love, <laughs> their new passion. Yeah, yeah, well, that's great to hear. Great to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much again, and this has been wonderful. And we'll make sure we get all these resources out to to everybody listening. Yeah, that sounds good. Dave, thank you so much again for all, all of your knowledge, all your time on this podcast. We appreciate you so much. This was wonderful. And for the rest of you, until next time, get out there.